Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We always appreciate you listening every Sunday night at this time for Bible Crossfire or to Bible Crossfire where you hopefully, if you like, you can call in and ask a Bible question, make a Bible comment. We let callers have first priority here. We always have something we're going to be talking about from the Bible till we get our first call, but callers have priority because I know that. I'm no dummy. I know that's what keeps the program interesting. Uh, if I go on and on, you're probably going to get a little bored. So, But when you have the callers call me in, I think it makes the program interesting. So if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call. Just like the announcer said, at 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on that first call, I thought we'd talk about the great white throne scene. Let me read Revelation 20, 11 through 15. This is where we read about that scene. It says, And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this is toward the end of the book of Revelation. It, we have 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. This is in chapter 20. Revelation 1.1 tells us something important about this book that many people overlook. Let me read the very first book, very first verse in the book of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants, Things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So, for the most part, the book of Revelation is figuratively describing events. Figuratively, I said it's going to be sent and signified. Figuratively describing events that were to occur in the first century time frame. That's the thing that most people overlook. Not something future, future to us, as many false teachers like Hal Lindsey would tell you. It says things which must shortly come to pass. There are actually two verses in Revelation chapter 1 and two verses in the last chapter, Revelation 22. They all teach this same thing, that this book, for the most part, is going to be fulfilled in a short amount of time relative to when it was written. So it was fulfilled in the first century time frame. We have all this talk constantly, ever since I can remember, and I'm 60 years old, about the mark of the beast in 666. And what people don't realize is whatever the mark of the beast was, whatever 666 was, it happened in the first century time frame. The very first verse in the book of Revelation said these things are going to be fulfilled. It's going to be shortly to come to pass, not longly, not some 2,000 years later. But whatever the mark of the beast is and 666 is, it refers to something about 1,900 years ago. Not something in our day or something future to us. But having said that, the great white throne scene in Revelation 20 that I just read comes after Jesus' 1,000-year reign, which is found in that same chapter, verses 6 and 7. And since 1,000 years represents a long time, the great white throne scene of Revelation 20, 11 through 15 would be future to us. 
it comes at the end of Christ's reign, and Jesus is reigning right now. We're going to show that in just a moment, but if you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic is 877-655-6755. Now, let me show you that Jesus is reigning right now. First of all, bullet point number one, Jesus began his reign as his, at his resurrection and really his ascension. I'm reading from Acts 2, verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. The passage goes on to talk about Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father when he ascended up in heaven. So, according to this passage, Jesus began his reign at his resurrection and his ascension, okay? Back in the first century time frame, in the time frame of around 33 AD. We don't know the exact year Jesus died, but when he was resurrected and ascended, this passage in Acts 2 says he began his reign. So this reign of Christ is not something that's going to occur after he comes back the second time. No, Jesus' reign began with his first coming, actually at the end of his first coming, in connection with his resurrection and ascension up to heaven. That's when he began his reign. And if that's true, we should expect Christ to be reigning now. We do see that in the Bible. Jesus' reign is to last till his second coming, till the end of the world, until there is no more physical death. Let me read on this point, 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 26. It says, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So we're talking about the second coming here. Then it says, then cometh the end. In other words, at the second coming of Christ, that will then will come the end of the world. There's not going to be time for a reign of Christ, a literal reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem after his second coming. It says at his coming, then cometh the end, the end of the world. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, remember, meaning that's the end of his reign, the end of his kingdom in that phase, not the beginning. Even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign. So that means when Paul wrote this book, 1 Corinthians, Jesus was reigning at that time. It says, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now that matches up with exactly what we read about the great white throne scene in Revelation 2014. It says, in death and Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. At the judgment, the great white throne scene, physical death will end. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is saying. He's going to reign until physical death is destroyed. That's going to be the end of the world, obviously. His second coming marks the end of his reign, marks the end of the world, the end of physical death, and that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 15 is saying, and that's exactly what Revelation 20 which we're talking about tonight is saying. And so Jesus is coming back at the end of the world, so there will be no more physical death after that. Now, so we see that Jesus is reigning now. He's going to reign for a thousand years, which is just, uh, it's not a literal number, just means for a very long time. At the end of that reign, according to Revelation 20, then we have the great white throne scene. That's what we call the judgment day. If you have a Bible question or comment, 
give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So what happens at the great white throne scene, which was also called the Judgment Day? Well, Revelation 20, verse 12 says, quote, The dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Now, I take it that the books here are the books of the Bible. It says we're going to be judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Why do I think that's the books of the Bible? Because of two or three other passages. Let me read those. John 12, 48. Jesus said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So on the judgment day, we're going to be judged based upon what Jesus said. His word, the Bible, the scriptures. In other words, what we've done will be compared with what the, how the Bible says we ought to live. That's basically what the judgment day is. Romans 2.16 says, When God shall judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. You see, on the judgment day, God's going to judge us according to the gospel, according to his word. That would be the books of the Bible. In James 2.12, judged, we're going to be judged by the law of liberty. Again, that's referring to the scriptures. So when Revelation 20.12 says we're going to be judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works, the books here would be the books of the Bible. There's 66 of them. I believe 27 in the New Testament, which we're going to be judged by those that live today. So we're all going to be judged by God comparing our works, that is, what we did in this life, to his standard, the standard by which we're supposed to live by God's word, the books of the Bible, the word that Jesus spoke, the gospel, the law of liberty, as we've just read. That's what's going to happen at this great white throne scene. We're going to be judged according to our works. What do you mean by that? We're going to, God's going to look at our works, what we did, whether or not we were obedient to his word. Our works will be compared to what the scriptures say about how we should live. Now, ditto, we see the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. That says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, Are we going to be judged on the judgment day, the great white throne scene, based upon whether or not we believed in Jesus? Well, of course. John 3.16 and many other passages teach that. But this says that we're going to be judged based upon the things that we did, the things done in our body, meaning while we were alive, according to what we have done, whether it's good or bad. That matches up with what we read twice in the great white throne scene passage, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, twice it says we're going to be judged according to our works. Now, a lot of God, a lot of preachers will tell you, you're not going to be judged according to your works because works have nothing to do with your salvation. You're saved by faith alone. But Jesus makes it clear twice in the passage we're looking at that we're going to be judged based upon our works. <laughs> so all those preachers that say works have nothing to do with your salvation are just flat out wrong. You're not saved by faith only. James 2.24 says you're justified by works and not by faith only. Yet many preachers will continue to say you're saved by faith only, you're justified by faith only, when the Bible specifically says you're not. We read also in 2 Corinthians 10 just now that we're going to be judged based upon the things done in our body, whether they're good or bad. Obviously, it's more than just belief. It's what we did. Uh, Whether or not we were obedient, whether or not we followed through on our faith. What good does it do to say I believe in Jesus as the Son of God? 
if you're not going to obey him. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say, Luke 6, 46. If you really believe Jesus is the son of God, that means you believe he's your authority. He's the son of God. He's not just a little bitty old prophet that shouldn't be relied upon. He's the greatest prophet of all time. He's the son of God. He's the authority. If you really believe he's the son of God, then you are to obey him. That's what we're seeing. You're going to be judged based upon your works, not just whether or not you believe or not. Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15 says that twice. Now, people can deny that all, the, all they want to. <laughs> but the Bible says that it's true. Second Corinthians 5.10 says we're going to be judged on the judgment day by the things done in our body, whether it's good or bad. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or a comment about this topic or any other Bible topic, we'd love to entertain your question or comment. Now, let's ask a couple of more questions about this great white throne scene. First, where will those whose names are not written in the book of life go? Well, Revelation 20:15, which we just read, the lake of fire. It says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, a while ago, we said we're going to be judged according to the books. That's in Revelation 20. That's the books of the Bible. This is talking about the book of life. The book of life is not really the Bible. The book of life is the book we might say that God has. It has the list of the names of all the saved people in it. If your name's not in that book of life, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire on the judgment day, the end of the world, at the end of Christ's reign. You see that? Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, second question. Where were those whose names are written in the book of life go? Well, they're going to go to heaven. Revelation 22, verse 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it, talking about heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, the only ones going to heaven are those written in the Lamb's book of life. And the ones going to the lake of fire are the ones that are not in the book of life. That's what we really what we learn from Revelation chapter 20 and chapter 21. Paul from Arkansas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Uh, I called once, maybe a year and a half ago, real briefly shared that uh, um, I was uh, invited to come to a church, which I attended three years. The elder, uh, he's a teacher, Bible study before the service. He doesn't, uh, he does preach once in a while when the pastor's out, but um Three years later, and we were friends. We had a lot of things in common. Uh, we found out, or I don't know how it came up. He believes you can't, you can lose your salvation. I believe you can't. I believe in the tribulation and the thousand-year reign. He believes in the amillennium. Now, I've never even heard of the amillennium. I did research before, whatever. So, you right now on your program, you're talking about the thousand-year reign, but I never heard you once mention, maybe my bad, about the tribulation. Um, well, do you, the do tribulation you in the tribulation mentioned in Matthew 24, and it's taught and it's talking about something that would happen in that generation, the generation that Jesus was speaking to. Do you remember that Matthew 24? Is that where you're talking about yeah. the tribulation? Yes. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so that's anyway, in Matthew 24. Hold on, Paul. Sorry. Sure. Matthew 24, 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world, so this uh, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. But notice, that's Matthew 24, 21. In verse 34, Jesus said, This generation shall not pass to all these things shall be fulfilled. So if you believe Jesus Christ, the tribulation referred to here in Matthew 24, 21, occurred during that generation. It's not something in our time frame or something future to us. It's something that happened during the generation that Christ was speaking to. As a matter of fact, he said in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Paul, he said, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So what he's saying is in that generation, before everybody he was speaking to died, the kingdom of God was going to come with power. The tribulation of Matthew 24, 21 was going to occur in that generation, the generation of the people he was speaking to, according to verse 34, which is 13 verses later. Does that make sense, Paul? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what he tried to do. And what I wanted to uh, conclude is... uh, uh, he was very he, his whole demeanor in our friendship and in his spirit changed um and he really was adamant almost aggressive to wanting to teach me what he believed because his father was a pastor and he grew up i get all that i told him that i said listen and I, here's what i wanted to get from you because uh, he didn't answer me uh, i told him i said listen you know you're on beef jerky uh, i just moved up to spam okay metaphorically uh what paul talks about you know what we can uh, eat for our spiritualism um i told him i said you know what the, the way i look at it is that it's interpretation of scripture pretty simple i don't believe god is elbowing jesus going look at harold look at paul oh my god so my question is and whether you or him uh, or anybody else believes in you can lose your salvation to all millennium. There is a thousand-year reign, but blah, 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 and I believe the opposite. If we truly believe we're saved, even if you believe you you can lose your salvation, uh, and I'm speaking maybe for, on your behalf and others, do you believe actually you can, you're can you going to heaven? Because uh, Jesus already died on the cross for us, sins, past, present, and future. What I don't understand is, how can someone say we can lose our salvation? Then what right, are you Paul, call for? Can you can you listen to this program after you go off the phone? No, you asked me that last time, and I'm not calling. I'm gonna put you on hold. I'm gonna put you on hold so I can answer that question. Well, I'll tell you what. Okay, he dropped, but it says let, let's talk about that. Can a person lose his salvation? What we and that brings up what we were talking about with the, the great white throne scene, the Book of Life contains the names of all the people who have been saved by Christ. We just established that. Now, can a person be taken out of the book of life? Now, remember, we've just established your name is only put in the book of life if you've been saved. So the question that Paul, our caller, was bringing up is, can a person lose his salvation? Can his name be taken out of the book of life? Well, what we're reading in this book of Revelation and other places is clearly true that you can. Revelation twenty two nineteen says, If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If we add to or take away from the word of God, Jesus says your name's going to be taken out of the book of life. Now, the book of life is the book that God keeps up with. It's the list of the names of all the saved people. The only way you can get your name in there 
is if you're saved, if you become a Christian. Now, he says, if you add to or take away from the book of life, your name will be taken out of the book of life, which means you're not saved anymore. Now, Paul said your sins are forgiven past, present, and future, but that's not in the Bible. Somebody made that up. What happens is Jesus died on the cross for all sins, but you have to apply that, his blood, to your life. And when you repent and are baptized, Peter told believers in Acts 2.38 to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. When you repent and get baptized, it says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. So when you are baptized, you get the remission of all the sins past, but you don't get the remission of sins future. You don't get that. That's just something somebody made up. As a matter of fact, this verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, is written to Christians. It tells us what a Christian has to do to be forgiven of his sins. Talking to Christians, people have already been baptized. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that implies that if we don't confess our sins as a Christian, if we're not willing to confess them, if we're not willing to turn from them, God will not forgive us. So when we become a Christian, we're not forgiven of sin's future. We're only forgiven of sin's past. Then when we sin after we become a Christian, we have to confess our sins in order to be forgiven of them. Now, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. It teaches it very clearly. But, of course, people want to make up whatever they want to believe. They want to believe in once saved, always saved. So they say your sins are forgiven in the future when the Bible never says that. Somebody just made it up. <laughs> Who are you going to believe? What somebody made up or what Jesus actually said? Now, there's another verse in Revelation that shows that your name can be taken out of the book of life and therefore you can lose your salvation. That's Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking here. He says, he that overcometh, I take it he's talking about overcoming temptation slash persecution. He says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So if we overcome temptation, God will not blot our name out of the book of life. But what does that imply about a person, a Christian, who does not overcome temptation? Well, it necessarily implies your name will be blotted out of the book of life. Now, your name's not in the book of life unless you become a Christian. Now your name is blotted out of the book of life because you don't overcome temptation or persecution. That means you lost your salvation. So all this stuff, all these preachers teaching once saved, always saved, they can't prove it. All they do is make it up. It's just wishful thinking. They know that's what people want to hear. Everybody wants it to be true that once they become a Christian, they can't lose their salvation. They don't really care what the Bible says. That's just what they want to be true, so they believe it. It's just wishful thinking. So a born-again Christian can lose his salvation if he doesn't follow God's word, if he does not overcome temptation. That's what we just learned. In another passage we've looked at before on this question of once saved, always saved, is James 5, 19 and 20. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, talking to Christians here, if any of you do err from the truth, the New King James says, wonder from the truth. If any of you do wonder or err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This is talking about a brother in Christ who wanders from the truth. If you have a child, a small child who wanders from the house, that means he was at the house and he left the house. So here we have a, a Christian, a brother in Christ, who wanders from the truth, that means he was with the truth, he left the truth. This is saying our job, the faithful Christians that are left, our job is to try to convert him back. If we convert him back, we save his soul from death. James 5, 19 to 20. Well, what does that imply? That if, if we're not able to successfully 
converting back. Well, let's say he refuses to be converted back. <laughs> His soul's going to die. His, it says, and shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. His sins won't be covered. He, he's, his soul will die. It's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. The brother in Christ who errs from the truth, if he's not converted back, his soul will die and his sins will not be covered. I mean, that's super clear. Once saved, always saved is false. We read Revelation twenty two nineteen that shows once saved, always saved is false because people's name can be blotted out of the book of life. They will be if they, if they take a, add to or take away from the word of God. We read Revelation 3, 5 that shows a person's names can, name can be blotted out of the book of life if they don't overcome temptation. I mean, what else would the Bible have to say to prove to you that once saved, always saved is false? How could it have said it any clearer? It's super clear. People just want to believe what they want to believe. It's all wishful thinking. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. 256 682 9753 for a free Bible study.